had like four sheets of notes. I'm glad I didn't spill all of those. So. Thanks, John, for that prayer. Let's pray. Um, let me ask you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. This is week two of the new year. And at the beginning of the year, I like to refresh what are some of the distinctive and key things that, that we seek, that we believe that God is calling our church to be. So if you are new to our church and you have some head scratcher curiosity about what makes this church work, what makes this church tick, what, this, what is this church about, you are here at a good time um, as we go through this series, as we refresh the New Hope vision. This is part two, a message that I've entitled The Miraculous Unity of Strangers and Aliens. We're going to read a a particularly meaty passage of Scripture. It's a bit lengthy, I understand, but um, I, I ask that you follow with me. Now, let me ask you to go to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to start at verse 8, although we're going to really look at verses 11 through 22. And it's a passage that often doesn't get preached on and dug through much, but I think it's tremendously important and deeply relevant to our time. And so let's go to, let me start at verse 8, which is very famous. Verse 8 and 9 are often memorized in a lot of churches because it's so great. But a lot of times people don't understand what follows after. What is the application that Paul calls us to after he tells us what he does in verses 8 and 9? And so uh, let me start with that, and then we'll, talk, we'll, we'll dig into the next portion. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, this is the word of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And what an incredible and beautiful thing that is to hear that. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then this is what he says. We are his workmanship. We've been saved by grace. But then this is the response. This is the applicational response that Paul talks about. And it is, it's, a, it's a doozy. Verse 11. Therefore, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. And that's a really confusing. That's how Paul writes, all right? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might, re- and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's a mouthful. There's so much there. I mean, there's no way I can, I can get through all of that, but let me try to let's dig into some of the, the heart of what this passage is saying. It's really big, and it's, and it's deep, and it's hard. But uh, let's get into it. Let's pray this message. Lord, we are living in a time when there's a lot of cultural division. And there's so many people in, in, this, in this country that just often feels displaced. We often feel like strangers to one another. We feel like aliens outside and longing for a place where we belong, a community. And Lord, um, and this problem afflicts the churches. And especially it afflicts churches like this, a church that's born out of the immigrant experience, churches full of minorities. And I pray, Lord, that we would turn to the gospel. We would learn, turn to the blood of Jesus, that your spirit helps us to see its power. And you would do a powerful healing and remarkable work to unite a broken people, to unite us under Jesus and make us whole, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. I'm going to um, I'm going to talk about this message in three parts. First part I'm going to call we're going to talk about the problem of strangers and aliens, the problems of strangers and aliens. Part two, I'm going to talk about how does we go from brokenness to unity under the cross of Jesus. And part three, I'm going to close this message by talking about what does it mean to be a dwelling place, the dwelling place of God where the veil has been torn away. All right. Let me talk about first about the dwelling, about this problem of strangers and aliens. This is a, a strange and hard passage, and I know that you know, it, there's no way that just as I read this once, you're, you're going to follow that. You can catch all the meat of this passage. There's so much going on there, and Paul could be a different, difficult author to follow. But let me just get a, try to quickly get at what he's saying here. Paul is preaching to the church, or he's teaching the church of Ephesus. He's realizing that within the church, there's two camps of people. There's a set of people that, that they're called the uncircumcision, that is Gentiles. And they're coming in and meeting Jesus and becoming saved and joining the church. And they're coming in and he's saying, you are at once far off and you are strangers. You are aliens. And now you're coming in, you're coming into what, was, what he calls the commonwealth of Israel, you're coming into the people of God, and now you're getting salvation, you're getting owned by God, and you're meeting this other set of strange cultured people called the Jews, you're calling Israel. And what he's, what he's talking about here is, in a lot of simple ways, a, a lot of times people don't understand, in, when we in America, that when we're talking about, he's talking about a spiritual alienation. That to be an alien you know, we have this word alien, and what we mean by it is usually you go to a science fiction movie and say, that guy's an alien. And what it literally means is he's a guy, he's a, sometimes he's a weird creature, or he's a little green man, but he's literally from another world. You're not from our world. You're not from our planet. That's what we mean. That's typically what we mean by the term alien. And, you know, but 
And another level, what the term alien has historically more meant is, especially at a time when science fiction movies were not popular, what the term alien meant is, you're not from our country. You're not from our land. You're not of our people. You don't belong to our community. You are a stranger. You are outside of us. And what, what Paul is understanding is that before, that if you were to come in, you have to receive the heritage of Israel. You must have, understand, get all the promises and the good things that God has given through the heritage of Israel. Then you will come and be a part of God's people. And at once you were Gentiles and you were far off. And mostly, if you've grown up in the church, you know there's such a thing as a spiritual alienation where you were once far off. And you must come and meet God through Jesus. And then you get to be a part of a citizenship, which is of God's people, which we call spiritual Israel. But Paul understands that that alienation does not just only happen at the spiritual level. That alienation happens also at the cultural level. For throughout the history of the world, People looked at different cultures, and your culture has one God, and my culture has a different God. If you are of your culture and I'm of my culture, you have two fundamentally different worldviews. The culture is like a wall, as he puts it, a wall of dividing hostility. And these two people were like oil and water. The Jews and the Gentiles, they hated each other. They couldn't get along. How could they possibly become one community? And this is what he's talking about in the church. Now, in this time, in this age, right, this is a profoundly, profoundly relevant issue. You know, when most people in America, when they hear about Christianity, if you, some of you, maybe you've grown up in the church, or maybe you, you've heard Christian, the gospel presented to you in one way or the another, it's, you're largely presented that we have a blind spot to this passage, that if you believe in Jesus, you get to be a part of spiritual Israel, and then you get saved. That's absolutely true. But America, we are really wrestling with this question. How come we can't have a unity? Now, what I want to talk about, this, the, this passage has largely generally not been preached in America. I would say, it, this verses 11 to 20, 22, how many times have you ever heard a, 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 a sermon preached on this? I've, it's, it's pretty rare. And one of the reasons why this is rare is because it's such a hard issue. Because right there, if you just change out the word Gentile and Jew and just change it out into one culture to another culture, you, have, you are now talking about what makes this passage supremely relevant and powerfully important in our time. Now, let me talk about this question. So many times people, one of the reasons why sometimes people can't get God is because they feel alienated. They feel strangers. They feel outside of this thing that they call church. And often they feel this thing, not only simply because the church itself is strange, because spiritually, no, I'm, I'm not a part of this thing, but also because when they come into church, the cultures within the church itself, the cultures, there's a division within the culture itself. Now let me talk about this problem of, of, our, of the church and strangers and alienation. Let me talk about this in two ways. Now let me talk about this one at the macro level, and then two, we'll talk about it at the level of a church like this, particularly of a church that's a, out of the immigrant experience, right? Let me talk about this macro level. Why does the American church wrestle with this question and why we have not really seen this, uh, why the American church hasn't wrestled with this, these verses 11 through 22 in Ephesians chapter 2? What I'm going to say next is hard. Most of you know that 
Some people have said this, that the most segregated time in America is Sunday morning. That's what, that's what I've heard, right? The most segregated time in America is Sunday morning. Why have the American, the American experience hasn't, the church hasn't wrestled with this question of Gentile and Jew? And I'm like, well, I'm about to say, it's hard for me to say, I don't really want to say this, but it's true. And it needs to be said. It's hard to hear. Why has the American church not dealt with this question of the Gentile and Jew and the unity in the church? To put it bluntly and clearly, it's because white people, white American Christians, don't want to worship with black American Christians. Historically, that has been the case. That's why. Because when black people come and hear the gospel, they hear it and being presented to them as individuals. The American church is been very good at presenting the gospel to individuals, but not been good at understanding those individuals are encultured. They have race and they have culture and they have a whole world view. And those individuals come into a community and you know what? They're not, they don't feel like, they feel that they are strange. They are strangers and alienated from the community. And so the American experience is individuals. We're individuals, and we choose our worldview. We can meet our God as an individual. If you meet Jesus, you can be that. That's absolutely true. That's true of the scripture. But you know what? There's more to it than that. And the American church has not been good at unfurling the deep idolatries of the culture because it's not just a race problem. It's not just skin color. There's a kind of... Well, to, for lack of a better phrase, a kind of Caucasian-American way of thinking about the American experience. And then there's an African-American way of thinking about the, um, the American experience. And you notice they don't align. They don't look at the country the same way. They don't look at the world the same way. And so to one another, they become strangers and aliens, and there is a dividing wall of hostility. Is there not? That wall of hostility is powerful, and it is hard. And so what is the American way? Because those two have been so like oil and water in our culture. I mean, that, those, that hostility is starting to come down, thankfully. It's been a hard thing in our culture. Our hostility is coming down, and that's a really good thing. But you know what? It's still not down in the churches. Right? Most of the churches are still pretty segregated. And we still don't know how to deal with the fact that if we have deep cultural difference, how can we deeply meet. It is in the Bible that God says he is the God of different nations and different cultures and they can become truly one family under Jesus. The Bible talks about this. And the Bible offers this tremendous promise and this blessing. And it should be the churches that lead forward in our society to meet deep racial and cultural healing instead of segregation in our culture that we can have a deep unity that our nation longs for. It should be the culture, the church that leads in the culture in this way, but we're not. And let me offer to you one of the reasons because we haven't worked through Ephesians chapter 2. That's the issue at a macro level in our culture. Now, what has been the general game plan of the way the American church has approached this problem? The way they deal with it is this way. The Caucasian American Christians get together, and then they say, you know what? We don't get you guys who are black. So we'll do white American church over here, and you guys do black American church over there. And you know what? The Lord is so gracious, and the gospel is so good and so powerful 
even though that doesn't touch the problem of the dividing wall of cultural hostility, even then, that still works to a certain extent. So many people have been saved this way, right? How deeply African Americans, I mean, we're talking people who have been kidnapped from Africa, and then their children and their, you know, the, their, their children, the ancestors of those children are living in their country, and yet they, so many of them, have met the Lord Jesus because even though they were alienated from the mainstream Caucasian society, they still met Jesus even throughout that segregation. That's how good the gospel is. But that has been basically been the game plan. You guys go do your cultural Jesus game plan over there, and we'll have our kind of church over there. Let's separate the thing out. That's the way it's been done. Right? Now, why am I talking about all these big and hard issues? Because in our church, we want to learn what it means to do Ephesians chapter 2. And why particularly in this church? This is an immigrant church or a church. This is a congregation that has arisen and planted by an immigrant community. And in the immigrant church, we've kind of had this very firsthand experience of finding out what does it mean to try to believe in Jesus and try to be a community when we really have two different cultures and within the culture there is a dividing wall of hostility right in the middle of a people that don't, that aren't even necessarily, in a lot of cases, racially different. And so the deeper issue is not even skin color. The deeper issue is the culture. And in the culture you have a whole set of what is my world where I am not a stranger? What is my world where I feel comfortable, where I can feel like I belong? And in the church, this fight is happening. Now, right here in the immigrant church, now let me just talk about this. You know, in this church, we're trying to figure out what this means. Literally, <laughs> you can almost decide exactly where the wall is right here. The wall is this hallway. <laughs> right there. The wall is literally that hallway. You can feel it. You walk over that. Some of you don't even you feel uncomfortable walking from this side of the building, that side of the building. Why? Because you literally went from, I'm, an, I'm at home over here, and then I went over there, and why I'm an alien. Isn't that weird? And some of you, you know, you're, you're well, some of you are Korean, so obviously, <laughs> like you're, you're by blood, you're Korean. And some of you may not be Korean. You're Asian, and you still feel that way. So it's not even the way you look. Let me just give you a, a quick, little, quick little rundown of the Korean American church and how a ministry like this has, a, has come out. You know, there's a wave. Koreans have been in, coming into the country in trickles, but in the late 70s, there was, a, there was a wave. And by the time you got to the mid-80s to the late 80s, this first generation who formed church in the Korean way, they began to realize, you know what? Our children don't get Jesus if we give it to them in the Korean way. Huh. Shocking, Right? Like they, don't, they can't even understand the Bible in Korean. How are they supposed to under, believe in Jesus? So then they started this structure that they called the English ministry, and they began to realize it can't just be for Koreans, right? Because their world is not just the Korean world. But let me tell you something. In the mid to late 80s, the early pioneering immigrant Korean-American churches started this, this structure. And by the way, let me just say something. This is not a Korean-American church problem. This is an immigrant church problem. Right? I have friends who are Chinese-American pastors, and then they, they, they do the kind of work that I do. They're a pastor on the, in an English-speaking congregation. 
that is formed out of a Chinese-American immigrant experience. And then, and when I talk to them, they got the same exact issues as us. I even have a friend, he himself is Caucasian, but he speaks fluent Spanish, and he used to be a missionary in Venezuela. And he is a pastor in a Mexican-American church in Texas. So he has one service that, where he speaks to the first-generation Mexican-American immigrants in Spanish. And then he has another service where their children who are English-speaking, out of the Mexican-American immigrant experience, he then runs a service in English for them. And then when I talk to him, I go, like, I know exactly what you're talking about. He talks about all the problems and the difficulties of that, and I go, I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, let me tell you something about what I know. Some, from what I know, observing, I've gone to a number of different Korean-American churches, even around the country, and talked to tons of different pastors first generation, second generation, about this structure called the English ministry. And let me tell you something that's rather depressing. Most of them have failed. Right? We are talking about hundreds of churches across the country trying to deal with this problem of the, cult, the dividing wall of cultural hostility and by having this thing called the English ministry and church after church after church around the country you know, they do this ministry, and then it, 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 I mean, they mostly fail. I mean, the Lord is so good, sometimes people still get saved in these ministries, but what I mean by the ministry fails is the, the, the congregation doesn't rise and grow into maturity, passing on the gospel to another generation, reaching their, reaching their neighbors, and thriving and growing in, in spirit and in love and maturity in all the ways that glorify the Lord. That's what's not happening. At one point or another, the hostility, the wall of hostility breaks this thing up. And, and, uh, and then there's fighting and there's anger and these things fall apart. That's what's happening. Church after church after church. Isn't that a terrible? That's a terrible situation. And what I'd like to say to you is this. In our church, you know, we're trying to figure out why this is the case. What we believe is it's not just if we sit, come in here and fix our, you know, Asianness or Americanness. It's not fundamentally, it's not fundamentally a cultural issue. Right? It's fundamentally a spiritual issue. And the deep answer for that is right here in this passage. It's Ephesians chapter two, and I believe that the reason these immigrant churches have not solved this problem is because they're trying to solve it at a cultural level. They're saying, you know what, I feel like an alien here, so come on, you know, we came to this country, and we're Koreans, and we feel so weird in this mostly white land, and so that's why we had this church in the first place. But, like, but I don't feel so Korean, and so come on, you have to like, make a space for me, and then we fight. And if we keep it at that level, it's not going to work. What we need to do is we need to be a church that looks at it differently. We need to let Ephesians chapter 2 ring through our minds. And let Ephesians chapter 2 deeply touch and shape who we are as a church so we can move from being strangers and aliens and fighting and the dividing wall of hostility come down to something beautiful which can only come from God. Something spiritual of the Holy Spirit can happen. That's point number one. Well, let's, I'm not, wait, wait, I'm not quite done with point number one. Let me just finish with this part. Now, I'm going to say something to you in like three to five minutes. Uh, 
which I could probably give like a whole lecture on. And if you could understand this, this would really help you, all right? Which is this. Why do we have this division, right? And many of you guys know there's division. Let me give a name to it. If you're Asian, you come out of an Asian way of doing community. What is at the center of the Asian way of doing community? What is the thing that they all long for and they, this is the thing they worship? Right? The thing that's at the center of the Asian community which they worship is honor. Right? Honor is the thing that all Asians hunger for. And you know how they get it? Asians don't believe in equality of individuals all across. They absolutely don't believe that. They believe in hierarchy. They believe some are bigger, some are less, some are more powerful, some are dumber, whatever. They believe some should be higher and some should be lower. But here's what's, but everybody can have honor, right? Anyone can have honor. Because if you would play out your part, whether you're on the lower side or on the higher side in society, if you would do your part, then you would contribute to the community coming together and having harmony and, 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 and thriving. That's what the Asian believes. And if you would do your part, you have a set of duties in your place. You have a set of obligations in your place. And if you do your duty, fulfill your duties and obligations, then you know what? We'll honor you. You'll get honor. That's the Asian way of doing it. You know, so some of you grew up and you chafed under this. Your parents or your, or your uncles and your aunts or other people, you came to the church and they said, do this and be this way. And if you don't this way, the Asian way is if you won't do your obligation, they do anything and every can to get you to do your obligation. They will guilt you, they will yell at you, they will threaten you, they, 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 will give, they will use the fear stick on you because getting people to fulfill their duties is what will make the society flourish. It's not the, the fulfillment of the individual, it's the fulfillment of the, of the community. And so if you grew up in this, you may have just chafed at this and hated this. And there you go, you're feeling that dividing wall of hostility. Now why... Did, why do so many of us who grew up in this country, why do we hate this so much? Because the central thing that the American thing does not, does not love is honor. Because this is how cultures work. Cultures have to worship something. At the center of the worship, this is what is, what is at the center of our altar. This is what we idolize. The Asian mind and heart idolizes honor. But what is the American mind and heart, what do we worship? We worship freedom. My freedom. And what does freedom mean? Nobody gets to tell me what to do. Nobody gets to guilt me. Nobody gets to put the fear stick on me. Nobody gets to obligate me. And I don't got duties. We hate duties. We hate obligation. <laughs> Come on now, you know. And we hate obligation. And so think about this. Two cultures... Even though your skin color and your race may be exactly the same, your heritage, your ethnicity may be the same, but your heart and your mind, the culture is like oil and water. You will hate each other. And how can these people, even though we're just talking, we're talking the sons and daughters of some folks of one generation, how can they hate each other? It's because of this. And until we can get this, we will be strangers and aliens to each other. So the gospel can take us there. All right, now that now let me get now we're done with part one. Let's go to part two. I said until part two, broken from brokenness to unity under the cross. Um, 
I can tell you when this English ministry started. It started in 1996. It started a little bit before. At, the, at that time, I was a very young pastor. The, the, the senior pastor at the time asked me to be the first English ministry pastor. And at that time, I was, like, I was terrible. I didn't really know what I was doing. Okay? Um, but the dream that between the oil and the water of Asian ethos and American freedom ethos to come together, that dream was alive back then and is still going on now. I came back to this church almost four years ago. I didn't know the Lord was going to call me back to this church, but he did. And the senior pastor was a different pastor. His name was Kyung Lee. And he and I had many conversations we had a lot of conversations about what this church should be about. And, and to this day, a number of those conversations stick with me. The Lord took some of those conversations and he really put them into my mind and they stay with me. And I want to just talk to you. We, we, we go back and forth. And he said that he believes from God that from the Lord it was his calling to lead this church, this immigrant church, to be what he called side by side. And, he, and I would say to him, thinking, come on, pastor. All the other churches around the country are doing this thing, and how, are we going to be better than them? I mean, if it fails, you know, whatever, 99 times out of 100, in all likelihood, we're probably not going to make it too. So why don't you let us, let an English minister go out and send us out, right? And you know what I was basically saying to him? And he said, no, from the Lord, I don't think so. He's like, I know it would be easier. I know it would be more practical to do it that way, but... I believe it is my conviction from God that we need to do it this way. And I listened to him, and, there, and at, at first I was thinking, he is either just dreaming, and he's crazy, but over time the Lord began to convict me that it really is from him. It wasn't just Pastor Lee's crazy idea, right? And, you know, uh, what I, I began to realize what I was asking for from Pastor You know what I was asking for? I was asking for the American evangelical church's playbook let's be white over here and then the black church can be black over here what i was asking for is you could be korean over here and we'll be asian american whatever mishmash over here why don't we just do it that way and then we don't have to deal with each other but he shared a story this is one of those conversations that really stuck with me the pastors would get together on tuesday morning to pray and we would get together in that large worship hall and we would just sit there on the carpet and we would talk about, you know, we would share prayer requests and then we would talk about things. And this is one of the ones that stuck with me. And I want to share this with you, right? And if you've been in the church, you might have heard me tell this story, but I want to hear it say it again so that you might re- remember it. He said a few years back, he had gone to this gathering of uh, battered women. It's sort of like Alcoholics Anonymous, except it was for battered women. And he said he saw something extraordinary there at that gathering. These women would gather together and they would sit and talk to each other about all the ways that they had suffered and the way they were so broken. And at the end of this meeting, he saw this one woman. She was pretty and she had really sophisticated clothes. She was basically rich and well-educated. And then there was another woman. She wasn't so well-spoken and she was much poorer, you can tell by her clothes. And she wasn't nearly so sophisticated. And at the end of this battered women's meeting, they stood up, and then they embraced one another. 
And then he turned to the other pastors. And at the time, it wasn't even the same pastors we have now. Like, like Joe wasn't on staff then. Frank wasn't the youth pastor then. At the time, it was Kyung Lee, me, me, uh, JW, our children's pastor, and Pastor Chung, our, 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 our Korean young adults pastor. So the four of us, he looked at the three of us and he said, so how can those two women who have nothing in common embrace? And, we're, and, uh, and he said, it's because they're broken. It's because their brokenness together, when they share their brokenness together, that's when they can embrace. And then he began to say, you know why, what's the real problem in this church? The problem in the church isn't the Koreanness or the Americanness. If that's what we talk about, then if that's the thing that we make it, then we'll never, we'll never, we'll never be able to be one. What we really need to happen is we all need to understand that our brokenness is much deeper than our culture. Instead of grabbing after what makes us culturally feel comfortable, what we need to understand is we're more deeply broken than that. And when we go under the cross, then we can embrace. That's the way he put it. And I'd say, you know, it didn't all come together for me when he said that one point. But when he told that story, I think that seed started to sprout in my mind. And I started to understand this is from God. It's more than just culture. Right. And something about the American playbook, about the way we do cultural market segmentation, this isn't big enough. It's not worthy enough. It's not deep enough to reach the deep brokenness of our culture. Now, let me share with you one of the testimonies. Now, a few of you, some of you may have been here for our Thanksgiving service. And we had a number of testimonies that were given in our Thanksgiving service. And... I don't know how you felt on that day, but I was really just happy. I mean, it was a strange service. It was, we, had, we had translation, <laughs> Korean being translated into English, and English being translated into Korean. And, you know, the music wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily perfect in every way. And, and it's a hard service because we're trying to make two cultures experience the gospel together. But we, we had this joint service where the Korean ministry and the English ministry together. But then, you know, we had... We had all these people getting baptized up front. And you know what they were doing? They, were, they weren't being Koreans or being Americans. They were just being sinners, broken under the cross, being baptized. And one of the testimonies that was given was given by one of the members on, on the Korean ministry side, and I want to reshare that with you. I mean, he gave it very eloquent in eloquent Korean, and Pastor J.W. translated it into English. And I don't know if you, how well you read it because it, you know, it, was, it was just like reading subtitles, right? But I wanted to share this with you, because I want you to see just how he is not different than us, right? Yes, he's Korean. Yes, he speaks Korean. And yes, he kind of still acts in that, you know, I care about honor. <laughs> I care about being an honorable man way of doing things in the culture. But if you listen to his story, right, it's not fundamentally different, right? Here, just listen. Listen. His name is Hejin Song. Uh, he's in his 30s, very bright guy, he's an engineer, right? With a couple kids. Not a whole lot different than a number of you. Here's what he said. God, Jesus, church, Christian, Holy Spirit, Easter, baptism. Words like these were not in my vocabulary. 
In the alleyway where I played soccer in my neighborhood, there stood a church whose wall seemed so high that it was unapproachable. You notice how he puts it? He said that it was a wall, but you know he's not just talking about a physical wall there, right? He's talking about a deeper wall than that. The pleas of my classmates to believe in Jesus or, or go to church only grew my disdain against Christianity. As Korea became more democratized in the 80s and student demonstrations heated up on the college campuses, many of my Christian college friends withdrew and distanced, distanced themselves from what was happening. I remember thinking how so-called Christians could be so indifferent with the problems that we were facing as a country. And so he just found them irrelevant and not credible. As an engineering major, the only truth in my life was about what I learned from school and what I saw and heard. Bible, church. So listen to this. For those of you who may not know, in the 80s, Korea essentially went a kind of societal revolution. You know, Korea, the, Korean, the Korean nation right now, the culture is vast, changing, but essentially they... That some of the things that made them hierarchical and very honor-oriented started to break down in the 80s because democracy started to come to the country. And they started wanting what? Freedom. They started wanting freedom, saying, you can't tell me what to do, government. You, just because you have the traditions, you don't get to tell me what to do. And a generation started to arise in the country. Guess what? They're starting to buy into a new culture. And, there's, and the things are starting to fight and roil into the country. And as the churches didn't want to touch those issues, and as they played their playbook in the old culture, it became irrelevant to the younger generation that was arising in the new culture. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Here's a man, to your face, you think he's Korean, and therefore he's a lot different than me, but he's not a whole lot different, is he? He's not a whole lot different, is he? Let me go forward. Just like that, I began my church life. As I became more comfortable in church, I mean, so he talks about how he struggled to find a church. As I became more comfortable in church, I, I paid more attention to the pastor's messages. Let me just stop there for a second. A lot of you, and I don't know, maybe some of you now, you know, some of you may be like, this, this guy goes on too long. <laughs> he talks too much, right? Uh, and I don't even know what he's talking about. A lot of times people come into the church and they, they can't even really hear what the pastor is saying because the church just feels too alien to them and they can't feel in place. But until the space can be made to say, you're welcome here and this is, can be a place for you, until they can feel comfortable, then they can begin to hear the message. And we're trying, we're trying in this ministry to more and more shape it so that someone who is an alien to this community of Jesus, whether they're Korean or Chinese or Caucasian, can come in and just say, we, want, we welcome you. So feel at home and then listen to the stuff that this blabby guy, Susan, talks about because it's from God, all right, from the Bible. Not because I'm from God, because I'm talking about the Bible. But he began to listen to the pastor's message, and here's what he said. And I began to think, you know, the message isn't that bad. And so I guess a small seed started to grow. It did, right? As I watched my wife and my oldest son who was going through puberty, as I watched them struggle, I had lots of worries and was unable to find answers to these worries. It was such a burden that, 
that there were times I would wish in frustration that I could send my son off to someone so that someone else could solve the problem. You know, I said this to my uh, to some of the members of the of the, of the those, some of those who came to the first service because a lot of them, you know, serve the the youth and the children. So I said, you know, if some of you think that the parents are failing their kids, you know what they are, but you know what they know it. <laughs> they know it. And some of them they may not have sufficient respect for the Sunday school teachers, but some of them they love you because they're saying, maybe they can solve the problem. Because <laughs> I don't get this. And you know what? They're just like us. They have fears. They have worries. They have insoluble problems that they wish they could outsource to somebody else. Right? And it's a burden. And he said this. Then I heard Pastor Shin Il Park speak at our revival seminar, and he shared with us that ultimately we are not in control of our children and that we must place our trust in God for our kids. Isn't that interesting? Maybe in America we know that we're not in control of our children, but we still try to control everything to make it work out for our kids, right? You know, you ever heard this term called the helicopter mom, the helicopter dad? What are they doing? They're hovering over their kids to make it all work out for them. That's how we try to control it in the American way. But in the Korean way, they often think that the parent is supposed to be in control of the kid. And if you're not, then you're failing as a parent. But now he's told this thing, you're, you're not in control, and it's okay. And you know what it says? He says, you know, I, real, I felt the realization that I wasn't in control, and a burden came off my shoulder. That's what he said. Isn't that incredible? He needed to hear a simple word from the Lord and a burden came off. Another time I had become weary and tired because I often work with companies in Korea on their time. So he's, it's weird. He's like having to work at crazy hours because of the, of the global, global. Some of you guys know what that's like, right? On this occasion, I was especially exhausted and I was preparing my heart for Sunday worship. I opened the Bible and there it was, Matthew 6.34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you've grown up in the church, you may have heard this verse. And you know it's a good verse, isn't it? You've heard this verse many times. And it may be at various different times when you were really worried and anxious. You turned to that verse because you knew it was there. But this guy, he had never heard this verse before. Can you imagine when you are feeling so burdened down and fearful to actually open the Bible and from the words of Jesus the Son of God, this is what you were told. What a tremendous blessing it is. Right? So then he goes on. Through this passage, it dawned on me that maybe God was reaching out to me. Yeah, <laughs> he was. So even before I learned anything about the Bible or church, I took a class on marriage relationships at church called Romance. That's Pastor Matthew Lee's class, right? To my surprise, I found out that the Bible actually shows us how to live as husbands and wives and even shows us how to lead our families. By studying with elders and longtime Christians, I realized that they were just like me, regular and real people. You see what was happening there? He looked at people who were Christians. He goes, they're holy, churchy people. They're weird, and I'm a stranger to them, and I'm an alien to them. 
But as I started to sit in that class and talk with them, I started to realize they got problems. They got sins. They got issues, just like me. What was happening? Their brokenness was coming out. And he was seeing, I'm not such a stranger or so alien after all. <clears throat> so he said, at the, at the same time, I still felt a disconnect with people in the church, although that was starting to melt down. And through the recommendation of Deacon M, I started one-to-one discipleship with Elder Lee. Since I didn't know much about the Bible, I, prepared, I peppered him with a lot of questions, and I even spent time trying to disprove God. So this guy's interesting. He's in the church for a while. He's trying to meet God. He does one-on-one discipleship with one of the elders, and he's sitting there arguing with him, trying to disprove God. <laughs> I just can imagine that. I love that scene. Through it all, Elder Lee patiently explained everything the best that he could, and honestly, there were times when I... When I said that I understood, but I actually didn't, because I just wanted to go home. <laughs> and on my way, I w- when I got to home, I thought I'd wrestle with the content myself. So one thing I wrestled with was, how does Jesus' death have anything to do with me, especially since he and I were born in different countries and different cultures? See it? Different countries, different cultures. There's that wall. Another thing I asked was, God, if you're real, then show me and then I'll trust you. Overall, the discipleship training was difficult. I didn't invest as much time as I should have because of work. And it was hard understanding the Bible. I already have a hard time dealing with English. But I couldn't even understand the Bible in my own language. (laughs) I wanted to complain to the guy who translated the Korean Bible. (laughs) Right? Yet through all the difficulties, I made it through to the end, and Elder Lee's diligence in journeying with me allowed me to come to know personally who Jesus is. Let me just say say this little something. A lot of times, this is what people need. I love that John prayed for this. That we would just have one or two people that we would love. You know, if you got even a little bit of Jesus, go to somebody who has a little bit less of Jesus than you and give them what little you got and love them. You know, I know, I know elderly. He's not a man who feels deeply confident in his knowledge of the Bible. But he would just patiently love a guy who's even arguing with him about the existence of God. And there's great power in that. Sometimes a lot of people just, just need someone who will go through that wall and meet you. Right? All right, let me finish what he says. He became my friend, that is Jesus, when I came to know him. He became my friend who I could come to in honesty and openness. Jesus is the one who always makes time for me and has my back, even though I think he may be too busy for me. Since he is the one who reached out to me, I want to respond to him because he is my friend and friends give and take becomes a two-way relationship. When my family and I first came to the States, my father passed away. And like any typical Korean father, he wasn't the most responsive parent. Gee, I wonder, it's like shocking there to hear that, all right? But he was my one and only father. And through this journey of faith, I never thought that God would be a father to me. But he has become just that. Now I believe that God the Father has come into 
my heart. And then he got baptized. You hear that testimony? When I heard that old testimony, it moved me. Because I realized, you know, they're not Korean or whatever. Of course they're Korean. But deep down, they're just broken people that need to go under the cross. And that's what's happening over there. And I hope that's what's happening over here. And when we go meet them, you try to look past the Koreanness and just look at broken people wanting to go under the cross and meet God. Now let me close this message with the dwelling place of God. It says in this passage that God is building us up. In Him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God. That's what He says. You know, the church, the church, a lot of times people think the church is a building, but the church is not really a, fundamentally a building. You know, if this building were to have a terrible earthquake and this building were to be torn down, this church would go on. Because the church is the people. And when God comes to dwell, He comes in to dwell into His people. The church becomes a dwelling place. And He says, you are to grow into a holy temple of the Lord. Now let me tell you something about the temple. When Jesus went to the cross, the, the temple in Israel had not yet been destroyed. There was a temple. And in the middle of the temple, so what there is literally, there's an outer court... And there's all kinds of stuff that happened in there. And Gentiles and Jews can go in there. But Gentiles can go into the outer court. You know, there was an inner court. And you know, Gentiles could not go into that inner court. And then there was another court where only the priests can go. And then there was a middle. In the very center was what was called the most holy place. And that's where God was literally there. God literally dwelled there. And if you wanted to test it out, you could go in there. There's a, there, was a, there was a curtain. A veil, a veil that hid, that hid off at the center of the most holy place. And if you wanted to figure out if God was really there, you know, you could walk into the middle and you know what will happen to you? You would die. <laughs> Only once a year could a, the highest priest, he, was, he would have to properly cleanse himself, could he, could, could he enter into that most holy place. God literally, literally dwells in that temple. But now Paul is saying, you are being made into a temple where God will dwell. And let me tell you, this is what it looked like. When Jesus died on the cross, now back then, it was pretty scary. <laughs> you don't want to go anywhere near the middle of that thing, because you would die. Right? Because we're an unholy people going before, an unholy, before a holy God, and our sin would get us killed. But on the cross, Jesus died for that sin. He bled the blood that washed us. And then you know what happened? On that cross, on the day the Bible teaches us, that curtain tore apart. The veil came down. That's what happened. And you know what needs to happen in our church these days? If people were to come into our church, you know what they still see? There is still a veil. They think, this is supposed to be the dwelling place of God and God lives here. I don't see God here. What I just see is a lot of weird people that seem alien and make me a strange, make me feel like a stranger. That's what they feel. They feel alienated and strangers 
in this place. And it's weird. You can doesn't matter if you're Korean or, or not. You can still feel alienated. You're, you could be a Korean American and feel alienated in a Korean church. Isn't that strange? Right? But people come in and they feel that way. Why? Because the veil is up and they can't see that God lives and dwells among his people in his, his temple. And you know, how will the veil come down the same way it came down on that fateful day when the cross goes up? And we will come in and we won't first, we will first be Koreans or Chinese or whatever, or Americans or Korean, American, whatever confused <laughs> cultural identity we have. We won't be that first. Instead, we'll let the cross go up. We'll be broken people under the cross. Then the veil will come down and people will see that God lives here. They'll see that God lives here. That's what I pray for. Someone will come into this church and they'll be so culturally weird. You know, I long for the day for someone to come in who's half Mexican and half Vietnamese and got a ring in his nose and tattoos up his arms and walks into this church. And at first he just looks Korean-American weird, but somehow, someone, somehow, somehow he came into this weird church. And when he came in, instead of seeing the veil of the cultural wall, he saw God living here. He saw God living here. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that this picture of the church, this would be this vision would be seared into our minds. That this is what you will do. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We're still so this is hard for us. We forget, we still fight. We are prideful. We still assert and we get resentful when people step on our cultural preferences. But I pray, Lord, that Jesus, his cross, would be so exalted that your blood could wash away our pride and our comfort zones. And before being Asian or American or whatever it is culturally, we would be broken people under the cross you do this in us and form a new people, a new humanity, a new community, a new family, a new church, a new temple where you live and dwell and people can see you, taste you, love you, meet you. Do this in us, we pray. In Jesus' name.